0: We are uh, continuing our series in Matthew and today we are going to be in passage chapter 21 verse 23 through 22:14. Matthew 21:23 through 22:14. And when he, Jesus, entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. From where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, Well, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But after, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, The first. Jesus said to them, Truly. I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country when the season for fruit drew near he sent his servants to the tenants to get the fruit and the tenants took his servants and beat one killed another and stoned another again he sent other servants more than the first and they did the same to them finally He sent His Son to them, saying, They will respect My Son. But when the tenants saw the Son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give Him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you ever never read the Scriptures in the Scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, How did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him, hand and foot. Cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen."
1: Authority. It's authority that makes all the difference. Now, some of you have heard me say before that if someone with no authority tries to cut you with a knife and take your money, you're going to resist because that person is probably an assailant. On the other hand, if somebody with authority tries to cut you with a knife and take your money, you'll probably submit to him because that person is likely a surgeon. The difference. Thank you. Thank the difference is authority. Again, if somebody comes and tells you what to do and has no authority to do so, that person is a bully. But if somebody with authority comes to you and tells you what to do and how to do it, that person's likely your employer. Authority is what makes the difference. And all of the parables that Kevin just read for us are around the theme of authority. We're continuing our chapter-by-chapter study through the Gospel of Matthew. And even though we just finished Matthew chapter 19, it seems like we've skipped ahead to 21. But the reason for that is because if you look back, we've already studied the second half of Matthew 19, all of Matthew 20, and the first section of Matthew 21. So if you missed those, all of those sermons are available on our church website or on YouTube or your favorite podcast player. So we've addressed all of that, and we're moving to this next section, which are these parables that all have to do with the question of authority, because that's what's being debated here. Again, it all begins with a question from the religious leaders to Jesus in verse 23. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Now for context, if we were to look back at the beginning of chapter 21, what we would see is that Jesus has ridden into Jerusalem to great fanfare on the day that we now call Palm Sunday. And then he went to the temple and what did he do? He started flipping over cables and throwing out money changers and those that were buying and selling animals in the temple. So, of course, the religious leaders come to him and they go, hold on, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you the authority? Because to do something like that without authority is to be a bully or a terrorist. So, by what authority do you come and do all of the things that you're doing? And so, the, all of the teaching, the parables that follow and that Kevin just read for us, they all are answering this question of what is Jesus' authority? What is that authority? Now friends, don't tune out this section of teaching. I know on its surface it might not seem as as controversial or irrelevant as the last few weeks of sermons. But this question of authority actually stands at the center of the last few weeks of sermons because it stands at the center of every sermon and every time we come to the Scripture. And it's the question of where does Jesus get this authority to do what He does and demand of us what He does? Because Jesus enters Jerusalem, and what do you do? He turns everything upside down. He acts as if He owns the place. And friends, I promise you that if Jesus Christ comes into your life, He is going to walk over and start flipping tables. He's going to turn over your life completely. Turn it all upside down. Act as if He owns the place. And you, like those religious leaders, are going to go, hold on, by what authority are you doing that, Jesus? What authority do you have to march into my life? And start flipping tables. And start cleaning house. I mean, the last three weeks contained some radically countercultural teaching about male and female and sexuality. And you might have been asking, by what authority is Jesus commanding those things? Friends, what, who has the authority? Who has the authority to determine what is right and wrong, good and evil, true and false? Is authority self authority? The authority of feelings, the authority of desires, the authority of the majority, the authority of the intelligentsia. On what foundation of authority are you going to build? Because, friends, ultimately, authority is a question of foundation. What is a sure and firm authority, a foundation on which we can build? What is true and certain on which we can start to construct our lives and our belief systems? What is the foundation? that we acknowledge, that we trust, on which we build. And the chief priests and elders are challenging Jesus' authority. They're saying, do you come to us with authority? And Jesus turns it around because he sees through the questions. He sees through their questions and friends. He sees through our questions. And he sees the heart behind the questions. Because by this point in Jesus' ministry, time and time and time again, through his teaching and through his miracles, he's proven his identity. He's already proven his authority over and over and over again. And he knows that these authorities have come to him and they have no desire for answers. They simply want an argument. They have no desire to actually understand where Jesus' authority came to because they have no intention of submitting to his authority. Friends, it's not that they can't believe at this point. It's that they won't believe. They have already decided. And friends, we do the same things today. We do the same things that the religious leaders then, we do it today. We profess to be open-minded and searching. However, to certain answers, our hearts are already hardened. Well, I'm objective. I'm open to absolutely any answer to which the evidence might point. Well, except, of course, that answer. That, That couldn't be the answer. You see, Jesus knows that for all their profession and all their questioning, these religious leaders are hardened against any possibility that Jesus might actually be who he says he is. And that he might actually have the authority he claims to have. They're saying, I'm willing to entertain absolutely any possibility... Well, except the possibility that Jesus might actually be who he claims to be. Jesus knows that it's not a matter of evidence with these religious leaders. It's a matter of willingness. It's not a matter of evidence. They don't lack evidence. They lack willingness. This isn't a matter of their heads. This is a matter of their hearts. Friends, so often our problems is not a problem of the head. It's a problem of the heart. Because, you see, our hearts are hardened by what we desire. We are unyielding to any authority except our own. We're unwilling to believe or to respond in belief. And friends, how have you come here today? Have you come here today willing to hear answers? Or have you come here today like the religious leaders did, simply to argue? Simply to find a way to justify remaining your own authority. And so Jesus turns it around on them and he asks them an impossible question about John the Baptist's ministry. He goes, okay, John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Was his authority, was it from God or was it from himself? Was it divine or was it human? And we hear the religious leaders deliberate in verses 25 through 27 and they say, well, if we say that John's authority was from heaven, then we're going to be shamed because we're going to go, well, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say that his authority was from men, well, the, the people believed that he was a prophet of God, and so they're going to be upset. Friends, just take a moment and notice. What are they deliberating? They're not deliberating evidence. They're, they're deliberating the response of the crowd and the cost to them socially of how they answer. Friends, these men aren't seeking the truth. They're seeking status. They don't care about the truth. They simply don't want to embarrass themselves before the crowd. And church, what issues are we likely to do the same thing on today? Do we care more about truth or about status? Do we care more about Jesus' authority or the authority of the crowd, the culture, the mob? Church, hear and understand, if we surrender the ultimate authority to the crowd, then we need to start by asking, well, which crowd? We need to ask which culture. We need to ask which generation because the in crowd is always changing. Culture is fickle and what's acceptable today is anathema tomorrow. Generations are always changing. And your grandparents held cultural ideas that now you're embarrassed by. And you hold cultural ideas now that your grandchildren will be embarrassed by. The culture, the crowd, public opinion, it's fickle, it's an ever-moving target. And if we yield ultimate authority to the crowd to determine what is right and wrong, what is acceptable and unacceptable, what is true or not, we're going to find ourselves just like these religious leaders. We're going to be easily swayed, we're going to be unstable, and we're going to be forever reinventing ourselves. Church, if our authority is not Jesus Christ, then we always stand in danger of becoming just like these spineless religious leaders, handing over ultimate authority to declare what is true or not to a fickle crowd and an ever changing culture. Friends, what are you building a foundation? What, what, what are you building on? What's your foundation? What is your authority? We need something certain, something true, something that's unchanging, an authority, a truth that is sure. Such as the authority and truth, the foundation of Jesus Christ. Who Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Unlike the crowd, unlike the culture, who's always changing, Jesus Christ is never changing. He is a firm and a certain and an unyielding foundation on which we might build our lives and our beliefs. Friends, who is your authority? And having ultimately defended himself from the questioning religious leaders and exposing all their games, he goes on the offensive and he starts telling some pretty offensive parables. See, in in 21 verses 28 through 32, he tells the parable of the two sons. The first son denies the father's authority at first, but then changes his mind and submits to the authority. And then the second son verbally acknowledges the father's authority, but then doesn't submit to it. And Jesus asks him, so who's the obedient son? And the religious leaders get the answer right. It's the first son who actually did it. And Jesus goes, hey, you got the answer right, but it simply proves you're wrong. You've got the answer right. You know the right answer. But you don't do it. This isn't an issue of the head. It's an issue of the heart. They know the right answer. They just proved they knew the right answer, but they don't submit. To the authority of God. They continue to be their own authority. And Jesus says something incredibly offensive. He goes, The tax collectors and prostitutes who have come to recognize and submit to my authority and the authority of God are entering the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. Friends, God isn't looking for just verbal assent or play acting or empty promises. He's not pleased with sacrifice or singing or even service. He wants lives submitted to His authority. And how about yours? How about your life? And he continues with his offensive in in 22, verses 33 through 46. The parable of the vineyard, this is clearly a a parable, an allegory of judgment against the religious leaders. The vineyard was actually a very well-known image in that time. If you were to go back, and and you'll see it throughout the prophets, but especially in Isaiah chapter 5. In Isaiah chapter 5, we find the song of the vineyard. And the vineyard represents God's people, Israel. And the landowner, thus, is God himself. So in the parable, it says that God, who's a landowner, entrusted the spiritual care of his people, of his vineyard, to some farmers who are the religious leaders. And he says, but they acted unfaithfully. They were more concerned about themselves, their position, their authority, than they were about the health of the vineyard or obedience to the landowner. And so the landowner sends faithful servants, the prophets, some of whom they tortured and others whom they killed. And finally, what does the landowner do? He sends his only son. And Jesus says, now now you're preparing yourself to reject and to kill the son of the landowner. And how do you think the landowner is going to respond to that? And friends, they again get the answer right. In verse 41, they actually give the answer. They say, those people should be judged. And Jesus goes, yes, it's you. It's you. Friends, this is the entire history of God's people summed up in a single parable. And the point is that the farmers, the religious leaders, they know the authority of the landowner, but they won't submit to his authority. I mean, the farmers clearly know in the parable this is not their land. They know that the messengers that the landowner has sent are authoritative messengers, yet they continue repeatedly to reject the authority of the landowner. And friends, we do the same thing today. We struggle with and we struggle against authority. If there's going to be an authority over me, I want to choose that authority. If you chose the authority, aren't you still retaining authority over the authority? I mean, friends, if if you're not willing to trust, to follow, to submit, to be conformed to an authority, it's not actually an authority over you. If you're still ultimately calling the shots and, and declaring what is right and what is wrong, you have an authority in name only. I believe in the authority of the Bible rightly understood. Well, unless it teaches something that I don't like or conflicts with this culture, then I'm going to question its authority. I submit to the authority of Jesus. Well, unless he says that I have to do this or that I can't do that, unless Jesus teaches something that embarrasses me in front of the culture, then I might question his authority because I'm continuing to be the authority. Friends, we struggle to give up our authority and submit to his. Who will be your ultimate authority? And like the religious leaders in conflict with Jesus, we're battling with authority because we all want to remain the cornerstone. We all want to remain the cornerstone. The cornerstone was the first cornerstone of a building that was laid, and by it you aligned all of the other stones. So the cornerstone is the one by which all of the other stones must be aligned, to which all of the other stones must submit. But we want to reject the cornerstone. We want to be the cornerstone and arrange it all according to our will and our design. And Jesus drives this point home in verse 42. He's quoting Psalm 118 when He says, Jesus said, Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? And this was the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. You see, the one that the religious leaders have rejected was actually the authoritative foundational cornerstone. And friends, Jesus says to reject the foundational cornerstone is to be destroyed. To reject the Lord's authoritative cornerstone means you won't be included in what God is building. If you won't submit to the cornerstone and line up with him and let him align you, you won't be part of the building. Verses 43 and 44. Therefore, I tell you the kingdom God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. You see, friends, the the bad news is that to refuse to submit to the authority of Jesus, to reject the authority of the cornerstone of Christ, by which God is now building a new people, is to be crushed, is to be broken, is to be excluded. That's the bad news. But, friends, the good news, the gospel is that Jesus has come to be our cornerstone, to set us right, to be a true and a sure authority, to align us rightly to Him, to God, and to all other things. He is the cornerstone. He's come to save us and realign us and build us into God's people. In fact, the Apostle Peter went on to write in his first letter, 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 4, and as you come to Him And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Friends, Jesus' actions coming in and clearing the temple declare God's going to bring judgment and sweep clean the old temple of stone because Jesus Christ, the living cornerstone, has come to build a new temple. He's building a living temple. Of his people, living stones aligned and submitted to him, realigned to the authority of Jesus Christ, realigned to God, and realigned to one another. Friends, in whose authority will you trust? To whose authority will you be aligned? And you see, the final parable that Jesus tells in 22, 1 through 14, it sounds strange to our ears, but it's the same theme of authority. He opens in 22, verses 1 through 2, and again Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. So Jesus says, this is about the kingdom of heaven. This is about my rule, my reign that I have come to bring. And this parable plays on the Jewish expectation that at the end of time, there will be a messianic banquet. We will feast forever with God. However, the religious leaders expected that banquet, only the pious Jews would be invited to that banquet. And what we find is, yes, yes, the Jewish people were the first recipients of the invitation. The Lord sent the invitation through his covenant, through his laws, through his prophets. And you would expect that the very first people who received the invitation would have been the most excited and they would have responded first to the party. But Jesus says, I sent the prophets to announce to you, hey, everything's ready. Come to the party. But you mistreated and killed them. I sent you, John the Baptist, to say, everything is ready. The kingdom of God is at hand. And you rejected him and his authority. And in doing so, in rejecting the authority of the prophets, and rejecting the authority of John, you've rejected my authority. And you've rejected my invitation. You were first invited, but you refused the invitation. You rejected my authority, and all that's left is judgment and destruction. And now, now I'm going to invite others to the party. And the host of the banquet sends out servants saying, invite all the wrong people to the party. Friends, Matthew 22, verse 10 is one of the most utterly scandalous and hope-filled, gospel-infused statements in the scripture. It says, and those servants went into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. They gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. The porn stars and the prostitutes, the child molesters, the deadbeat dads, the hopeless addicts, the chronic gossips. The sexually immoral, the liars, the thieves, the fundamentalists, the progressives, the republicans, the democrats, the conservatives, the liberals, the bad, the good, the unrighteous, the self-righteous, all who would repent and submit to the king's authority and invitation are offered a place at the banquet. And in that way, the hall was filled with guests. That's a scandalous description. That is scandalous scandalous. Jesus parable blows out of the water our understanding of good and bad. Because friends, those that we humanly call good and those that we call bad are all pictured feasting at the table of God because the category of the kingdom is not our category. You see, we see people as good or bad, but when God looks on people, what does he see? Romans chapter 3 verses 10 through 12. As it's written, none None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Jesus looks upon us and He sees no one's truly good. Even those whom we perceive as good or religious are not really. So the kingdom is not about good or bad. Then what is it about? How do we come into the kingdom? Look at verses 11 through 13. When the king came in to look at the guests, he saw a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot, cast him into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Friends, the king comes to the banquet. He finds one who is not clothed in a wedding garment. Now, friends, the king himself would have provided clothing for the guests to wear at the banquet. However, this man has arrived in his own garment, assumingly wearing what he thought was good or good enough. Friends, this man wasn't ignorant of the requirement, nor was he ignorant of the king's provision of a garment. This man was obstinate. He refused to submit to the authority of the king. He refused to accept the king's chosen and provided garment. The man wanted to retain the authority to decide what was good and what would be acceptable to the king. The one who rejects the authority of the king and off, and spurns the offer of his garments of righteousness. And instead this man came clothed in his own righteousness. Friends, what, whether that looks like unrighteousness or self-righteousness, either way, it's a refusal to submit to the king's authority. Friends, the only ones, the only ones who are admitted to the kingdom banquet are those who have submitted themselves to the king's authority and been clothed in garments of righteousness, chosen and provided by the king himself. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 3.27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Friends, we must be clothed in Christ. We must be submitted to Christ. We must receive His righteousness as our own. It's as we sang this morning in song. When He shall come with trumpet sound, O oh, may I then in Him, in Christ, be found. Dressed in His righteousness, not my righteousness, not my goodness, not even my best. In His righteousness alone, only then will I faultless stand before His throne. Friends, we dare not come in what we think is best or our goodness. We can only come into the kingdom by His righteousness. He, We must submit to Him and be clothed in Christ alone. Because even my personal best, even my personal good is not good and is certainly not good enough. We must be submitted to Christ's authority, humbled to receive His righteousness, and put Him on as a garment. And friends, the question that this leaves us with is, will I submit? Will I submit to the righteousness of God? Will I submit to the authority of God? Will I be clothed, that is, in the righteousness of Christ? Or will I say, no, no, what I have is good enough. I'll decide what is good and bad, right and wrong. My authority, I'll choose. And then I'll come to the banquet. Or will you submit to the King and what He's provided, what He has taught? And will you submit to Him and clothe yourself in His Son, Jesus Christ, and His righteousness alone? And church, our job is contained within also that final parable. We are now the one sent... We are the ones sent into the the roads and the byways and the fields. We are are the ones sent to go and to declare to the good and the bad that Jesus Christ is Lord. That He has authority over all and to, to extend the good news of Christ's invitation so that His table might be filled full. Friends, to whose authority will you submit? Friends, who will be your cornerstone? Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You that Jesus Christ is the perfect and the sure and the true and the unmoving, unyielding, unchanging cornerstone. By Him we can be rightly aligned to You and to one another. On Him we can stand firm and secure in an ever-shifting world. Help us, though. Oh, Lord, we struggle against Your authority. We want to call the shots and decide what is right and wrong, what is good and evil. So submit us. Submit our wayward, hardened hearts by Your grace to the authority, to the rule of Jesus Christ. May our lips declare, Jesus is Lord. And our hearts submit to Him who is the only cornerstone. In His name we pray. Amen. In closing, please.